You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today I'm pleased to have part three in a series that focuses on trees, on the forest, and particularly urban forest. In part one, we had Mary Lynn Beckley and ex- the executive director of the Georgia Tree Council, uh, along with Seth Hawkins, a forester here in Georgia with the Georgia Forestry Commission. And for part two, we had Seth Hawkins return to drill down in, on the topic of trees and forests. And today, I'm really very pleased that we have one of the nation's leading experts on trees and urban forests, Edward Macy, joining us. Um, Edward Macy has been a practicing professional for decades and a national leader in urban forestry for for a considerable amount of time during which he pioneered the development of local tree ordinances, landscape policy, and he's promoted science and ecology uh, along with public policy that's based on the conservation of trees and forests in developing cities. His his current work focuses on maximizing the important environmental services of natural systems in urban and urbanizing areas while minimizing risk. And so, again, I'm really very pleased to have as my guest today, uh, Edward Macy. Welcome to the program, Ed. Thanks. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. Well, Ed, let's start off by explaining to the audience the difference between an arborist and an urban forester, both of which you are, but uh, people are probably more familiar with the arborist term, um, and also arboriculture. Those are terms that have been around for virtually a, a century. Uh, arboriculture is not uh, as popular a term, but the term urban agricultural and urban forest has only been used in the last uh, couple of decades. But while you studied at the Environmental Horticulture uh, Program as an undergraduate um, at the University of California at Davis, and then later you received your master's degree in urban forest ecology at Syracuse University, those disciplines would seem to be perfectly complementary. But let's go back to the original question. What's the difference between an arborist and an urban forester? Right. Um, it's a very it's a very simple distinction. Uh, an arborist is focused on the care of individual trees. Uh, say, for example, if you have a shade tree in your front yard or backyard, and an urban forester is more focused on the aggregate of trees within a city and how they function as an ecosystem. And Ed, why is it important for us to understand? Um, how trees, um, which are combined into a forest, um, live and, um, in, in essence, as a system, um, almost uh, like a coral reef, you know, which is one singular body. This is not always true for all forests, but why is it important to understand um, the ecology of forest in the aggregate? The, the uh, trees, you know, we tend to take take our trees and our cities for granted. Uh, they do a lot of work. They work very hard for us, and they provide us uh, ecological benefits. 
so the management of that forest as an aggregate uh, to maximize those benefits is is a, is beneficial for society. Um, environmental benefits include cleaner air, um, the sequestration of carbon, uh, the shading and, and evaporative cooling of trees reduce our air conditioning costs. Trees help intercept rainwater and reduce stormwater runoff and help improve water quality. Um, those are just the environmental benefits, but there are also economic benefits, there are social benefits. So, so managing them to enhance the canopy and enhance trees' conditions maximizes their ability to pr- provide us all these benefits, which is, which is better for society. Uh, sometimes that management has to occur one tree at a time, and that's where arboriculture comes in, but, but we can also manage the urban forest as a system uh, to, to, to maximize the benefits as well. And Some communities, uh, you know, the, 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 the structure and composition of an urban forest varies depending on where you are in the country or in the world for that matter. Uh, some, some communities, for example, out in the Great Plains uh, wouldn't naturally have trees because that's not the natural ecosystem there. And so the urban forest becomes a artificial assemblage. We intentionally plant trees so that we can bring those benefits in where people live, work, and play. Uh, it's, it's important to understand that uh, people have an impact on the natural environment. We pave surfaces, we build structures, uh, and uh, alter drainage patterns. There's a lot of things that we do to alter the, the face of the earth, and, and one of the ways that we can soften the human impact is by bringing those trees and their natural benefits in to our communities. So, Ed, that uh, brings to mind the, the question of trees which are planted uh, in a Midwestern city. Can can forests in urban cities in the Midwest, can they actually survive and even thrive? Well, yes. Yes, they can. Um, they, they do very well. But the important thing is that we have to create the environment um, in which in which they do survive, and and that's why we study arboriculture and urban forestry. Uh, if you create a good soil environment for trees to grow and look after their some of their basic needs, like water, for example, uh, and insect and disease treatment where it's appropriate, appropriate soil volume, uh, they they do well. Is this something like the upper Midwest? You know, it takes them a lot longer to grow than they do in the Southeast. But um, and and I think they're a little bit more precious up there because they do take a long time to grow. Is this a function of irrigation uh, and or climate, uh, cold versus warm? Yes, the the um, in most places in the country we do have we do have uh, abundant rainfall. Uh, so, irrigating urban trees is not is not necessary unless we go into extreme weather conditions. Some places in the southwest they may require a little bit more attention, especially as they're going through their establishment period. Uh, so you do have to pay attention to that uh, weather uh, in terms of hardiness to to cold and heat is is also a factor. And there's ways that you can rate trees based on that hardiness and plant 
plant the trees that are appropriate for your geographic region. I I want to go back to um, your educational background because you are extremely uh, well educated and perfectly suited to uh, do what you do as a um, a forester and as a consultant um, for arboriculture and for for urban forest when you studied um, horticulture at, at uh, the University of California at Davis and later you got your master's degree in urban forest ecology at Syracuse University would it be fair to say that in some sense one was a more micro approach and one was the macro approach or, or how would you characterize uh, the difference uh, between those two disciplines yeah, that's that's a great question, and and I think you pretty much nailed it. I when I first started studying uh, plant science and horticulture, I was really focused on the minutia, and I was very interested in it. Um, it you know, plant physiology and how <clears throat> organelles within a cell, within a leaf, function, and how it contributed to the overall life of a plant, for example. But, but over the course of my studies, I, my focus began expanding. So there was this evolution from plant physiology to uh, horticulture, to arboriculture, to forest ecosystems. And uh, I, you know, I think it's just, it's just the nature of my personal being that that, that focus shifted the way it did. But um, the combination of understanding the physiology of plants Really, really helps you when you're practicing arboriculture, and and understanding arboriculture really helps you manage forests. Um, so it was a, a natural progression for me, but it made sense, and it 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 really strengthened my ability to practice in my career. You know, I want to operationalize this a little bit, Ed, and and I would think that. Uh, certainly um, versus a group of lay people taking a walk uh, through the forest that uh, you can more readily identify uh, healthy trees uh, versus uh, not so healthy trees um, indigenous versus non-indigenous and sometimes I guess the non-indigenous are are thriving and and the indigenous trees are not doing so well uh, due to a variety of of uh, conditions, but uh, are you able to take a walk through the forest? And do you find that your horticulture background allows you to to see? And of course, I know you have to drill down oftentimes to to or examine a tree, just like you would examine an individual. But are you able to sort of get a feel for the health of a of a forest when you take a, a walk through uh, through a grove of trees? Uh, yes, it, it drives me crazy sometimes. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I, I when I'm walking in the city, uh, I do pay a lot of attention to the trees and what kind of condition they're in, and I think about risk that might be associated with them. I think about the species that's there and, and why it might be there. Sometimes trees surprise me, and I might ask myself the question, "What's that tree doing there? It doesn't even belong in this part of the country," uh, because things like that happen. Uh, and and I, I think a lot about uh, the suitability of a species giving its particular growing conditions 
which is an, another discussion that we could have. And when I'm walking in a forest, I think about usually, typically, forest health in general. Um, for example, if I'm walking through uh, the Chattahoochee National Forest in North Georgia, uh, you know, I, I feel very concerned for the condition of some tree species like hemlock, which is which has been uh, affected by an insect, an exotic insect that's pretty much knocked out that species in its natural environment. Uh, but I have to tell you, sometimes I just walk in the woods and I turn that all off and I just enjoy what I call a, a forest bath. I enjoy just being out there in nature, which is very important too. Yeah, I will. Um, you know, I, I, I've had this sense uh, in, in in many a forest, uh, not necessarily one with uh, uh, large trees. Um, I am really. Uh, I, I get. I have a feeling of well-being just walking through a grove of aspen trees. You know, they're not very large caliper. They're just really beautiful, and uh, uh, I just uh, feel one at nature when I take a, a walk through the forest like many people. But uh, I do have to say I recall um, walks through the redwoods where I just felt like I was in, in nature's cathedral, and, and you may have experienced the same thing. Yes, and and that's a phenomenon that's actually been researched and pretty well documented. Uh, it's one of the social benefits that uh, trees provide us, and, and that's human well-being. I think there's some studies that show that if if you're looking out your window and in a wooded environment, for example, your stress level and blood pressure might be lower than if you're staring at you know at a freeway or asphalt and concrete. Um, Studies have shown that people heal more quickly and with less medicine if they're in a hospital looking out a window at a natural environment versus asphalt and concrete. Uh, so there's a calming effect that trees provide us. And uh, it's one of those things that we do take for granted and we may not even notice it's happening, but uh, I think most people would share your experience being out in the forest in that this, this sense of well-being comes over you. It's just a very relaxing thing. That's why we all love to go hiking. Yes. Um, Ed, we're going to be taking a break right now. When we come back, I want to actually build on that sense of social well-being derived from trees. And we'll get back, of course, to the science, but I want to have a little bit of a balance between the two, the quantitative and the qualitative. We're talking with Ed Macy, one of the nation's leading forestry and arbor experts. We'll be back with Ed Macy right after this break. Are you like me, totally into Buy American? Then go to Authentically American or call. Call them today. Write it down, Authentically American, Buy American, from America's Web Radio. God bless our military past, present, and future. God bless America. Merry Christmas. I'm Patty LeVan, owner of Multiland Mortgage Services, Inc. We've partnered with nationally known wholesale lenders throughout the country that offer a wide variety of home loan programs. We can find the right home loan that will suit your financial needs. Multiland Mortgage Services, your way home. Call us at 941-201-9111 or check out our website at multilandmortgage.com. Company founded by Joseph D. Powers, NMLS 158-989, licensed in Georgia and Florida. 
This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Edward Macy, one of the leading authorities on trees and forests uh, in the United States. And, and I will make references throughout the program to uh, the value of and to... Um, Putting your knowledge, Ed, into the context of what it means for uh, regions all over the U.S., but also much of what we're talking about when we're talking about the effect of of trees on a community applies to the rest of the planet. Um, uh, I happen to believe that, uh, and and I think this is common uh, knowledge uh, for for forest experts uh, like yourself that trees in the Amazon are important to the state of Georgia and to the rest of the U.S. and to the rest of the world, um, both in terms of what they do for the environment and for the ecology, um, literally helping us to uh, breathe easier. But as you touched on a moment ago, um, a sense of well-being, which is not as easily quantified, but... uh, I want to mention something which wouldn't fit into too many conversations, but fits into this conversation. We talked about redwoods, or I, I brought it up, and I recall, and I, w- I hadn't planned on, on mentioning this, but, but you, you mentioned having trees planted um, outside uh, of a window or having uh, a window that overlooks trees. And I recall being on the campus of the University of California at Santa Cruz where they had built some of the structures in and among the redwoods, the Henry Cowell Redwood Forest. And you looked out and you you, you could almost touch uh, one of the redwoods um, because there might not be branches at that particular uh, point of view. Um, But then uh, there would be this gigantic redwood rising a couple hundred or more feet into the air. Uh, and and it really, it was almost like uh, taking that walk in the redwoods, but sitting rather uh, at a desk uh, reading a book. Um, I'm wondering, Ed, uh, if you've experienced that, or if the campus at UC Santa Cruz had a, a similar sensibility about trees. Right. <clears throat> That's... Um that sounds like a great experience. You can almost smell the redwoods the way you're describing it. And I'm sure it's a great environment, very conducive to studying. But it sounds like it might also be conducive to daydreaming. Oh, no, no question sure. about it. No question about um, it. The, 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 uh, the redwoods are, are cherished out 
out on the west coast you know i've been there a lot obviously i went to uc davis and and they're wonderful trees and when they're on a college campus like that it would be just just heartbreaking to cut them down to accommodate building construction but but the bigger the the, the point that you're alluding to is that it, it is a challenge accommodating trees as we're building our cities and and I spent a good part of my career figuring out ways to do that and helping communities develop public policy so that we, we can have mature trees when we look outside our windows and and we protect some of those ecological benefits that we derive from our forests. Um, and trees are uh, very stationary. You just can't move them around, especially when they're mature. They're, they're rigid and they, they're delicate. Um, they have expansive root systems, and if you disturb those root systems, uh, they begin to decline. And building construction and land development is a very complicated process uh, that in itself is sometimes very rigid. And when you combine the two of them, something's, something's got to give somewhere. Uh, so it's very important for communities to figure out ways and to adopt some of the proven ways to maintain their urban tree canopy uh, while they're supporting building construction and land development. Uh, so you end up with that experience like you had at University of California, Santa Cruz, where you're looking out the windows and you have this, this functioning ecosystem out, outside your window. Um, it, 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 requires, it requires being diligent and putting together state-of-the-art science and technology behind the practice of tree protection and replacement in the building construction process. Uh, Ed, uh, is is one of the the major um, root problems, um, no pun intended, the um, the root system damage that occurs in the processes? Is that still? A, a major problem and and if you help communities better understand that they should uh, more aggressively protect the root system of trees in the building process I know as we see infill development in a lot of communities the homes are bigger uh, the footprints bigger um, there are tractors on the periphery of those footprints and they're damaging roots is it still one of the biggest problems and are you helping communities to understand that it, it is. We tend to look at our trees and we just see the stick, the part above the ground, and we don't think about the root systems. Uh, and in, in communities where there is a lot of infill development going on, where there are mature trees on lots and smaller, you know, older generation of houses are being removed and, and uh, larger footprints are being put on the property, it, it becomes a challenge. And it's almost... It's well. It's difficult, if not impossible, to protect these older trees. Uh, while doing that, there are techniques to getting closer to these large, mature trees uh, within limits. Uh, sometimes the decision just has to be made to remove the tree, knowing that its root system's damaged, and and replacing it. Uh, but but emphasis on the word replacing it. it. We we really have to be diligent about that if we're removing some old trees. Some, some of which might be end of life cycle. If you're moving a tree in a city that's 75, 80, 90 years old, that's, that's an old old tree for a city. Uh, 
that might be okay, but we have to put trees back, and we have to put many more trees back to compensate for the loss of canopy. You know, one thing that um, I've taken note of, uh, particularly uh, in in my own community and, and in metro Atlanta, and, and listeners know that I make reference to uh, Sandy Springs and to Metro Atlanta and to um, many of the 50 cities in this uh, region as as a kind of a microcosm for the rest of the country. Um, and I find that um, because of the lack of park space and green space, you know, active and passive parks, that many of the trees... Um, reside in our front and our backyards and so that as development occurs that's why we're seeing an overall diminishing of the tree canopy I'm wondering if you agree that that is the uh, in most communities is that the overwhelming condition and I want to ask if you make recommendations for uh, one-to-one or near one-to-one or or, you know if you're wiping out uh, 70% 70% of the trees in the process, uh, are you recommending really robust replanting? Yes. Uh, you're right that the major cause for loss of trees in the Atlanta region uh, is because of uh, land development, especially the sprawling nature of development. Uh, back in the in the 80s, I was doing some work with Trees Atlanta, which is a local nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the natural environment, planting trees in the city. And and we did uh, urban tree canopy study working with an organization in Washington, D.C. called American Forest. And with satellite imagery, we were able to show that the Atlanta region was losing about 50 acres of trees a day, 365 days a year for over period of decades, uh, mostly because of sprawling development. <clears throat> and and that was a call to action for us, and we embarked on developing local public policy that, that uh, required protection of trees and replacement of trees, you know, based on the nature of the project and the acreage of the site. And, and uh, the first ordinance that it, we call them urban uh, tree protection ordinances, the first ordinance was in Atlanta's Fulton County, which is the nucleus county of the Atlanta region, and and it was quickly copied by other counties in the region and, and municipalities. Well, that was decades ago, and I, I think that that's reversed the canopy decline, and the ordinances have become uh, <coughs> more sophisticated over the years and have changed their focus to what we call canopy-based ordinances. So we can use aerial imagery um, or satellite imagery on a per parcel basis or actually measure the canopy from underneath the trees and and we're moving towards requirements that the canopy we're taking a no net loss approach Um, the city of Decatur for example has a very good canopy based ordinance that requires the replacement on a square foot square foot canopy of of trees lost uh, so my and my understanding is the city of Decatur has actually reversed their canopy decline and they're in and the, the city's enjoying an increase of urban tree canopy over the last 10 years um, 
and it's simply a matter of protecting trees where you can and planting them back where you can't, uh, where you can't protect them, and uh, it makes a big difference. So uh, the, the, the key is having some good local public policy that's reasonable uh, and inflexible, but also scientific, scientifically based. I think um, when I first met you, Ed, I said something like um, I had heard your name for years, uh, even though I hadn't met you, and it was in conjunction with being uh, one of the individuals that was uh, pivotal in in influencing uh, tree ordinances in the metro area and, and throughout the state of Georgia and maybe the southeast, um, but... Uh, um, it seems to me that you were uh, quite influential in helping to uh, r- r- um, retard the diminishing uh, tree canopy. We're going to take another break, and we'll be back to talk with Ed Macy about his work related to trees and urban forests and um, much more right after this break. Happy holidays. I'm Patty LeVan, owner of Multiline Mortgage Services, Inc. Call us for details about our conventional loans with as little as 3% down or talk to us about our FHA, VA, and USDA loan options. We answer your questions with honesty and integrity because that's how we roll. Multiline Mortgage Services, your way home. Call us at 941-201-9111 or check out our website at multilinemortgage.com. Company founded by Joseph D. Powers, NMLS 158-989, licensed Georgia and Florida. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And my guest today, Edward Macy, is one of the leading experts uh, in the nation on trees, um, the tree canopy, tree forest, urban forests, and the value of uh, trees to um, communities. And uh, before the uh, break, Ed, you'd mentioned that you worked um, with Trees Atlanta to help um, uh 
and also with Fulton County to put in position some tree ordinances which um, would protect uh, trees and hopefully gravitate more and more toward a, uh, a no net loss condition. Is that what has happened in Decatur? Uh, you mentioned that uh, that they've reversed the process. Are they at a no net loss condition? Yes, the, the city of Decatur um, has had a tree ordinance in place for uh, uh, probably since the late 80s. And, and I worked, I wrote their original tree ordinance. Uh, for, for those that don't know, Decatur and the Atlanta region, Decatur is a four square mile community with a, a relatively high population density for the southern United States. It's about 5,000 people per square mile. And um, it's it's an in-town community that uh, it just borders the, the city limits of the city of Atlanta. Uh, so it's a very, very desirable place to live, and it's been under very intense development pressures for decades. And the uh, the trees were going fast, and the city the city did adopt a tree ordinance in the '80s, very similar to what, what we did in Fulton County. Uh, the the one thing that made these ordinances unique was that they were they were ecologically ecological based ordinances. And in other words, we asked the question. Uh, what, what density of trees do we need to have to start recovering the, those ecological benefits that we talked about earlier on? And and we we went from there, and then that ordinance evolved over the course of fifteen or twenty years, and we we moved away from the density of tree coverage, which is you know how many trees do you have in the ground per acre and started focusing more on the canopy uh, which is when when you look down from an airplane and, and you see the spatial area that trees cover with their branches and leaves and the crown of the tree and, and canopy is important because it's measurable and it's quantifiable that, that means that we, we've got models now that can take canopy as an input and and we can quantify what the ecosystem services are as an output. So if we have, for example, 10,000 acres of canopy inside the city of Decatur, we can tell you what the value is in terms of that those trees' ability to intercept stormwater and put a dollar value behind it. Uh, it's called quantifying ecosystem services. And, and that's an important thing to do because if if you are developing a community, when you quantify those services, you could instantly. Well, it takes a lot of work, so it's not that instant. But you can you can decide what the changes to your community are doing and whether that change is desirable and acceptable. And you can figure out what you need to put back to reverse those changes. So that you're in an environmental equilibrium with the challenge between land development, building construction, and forest protection and tree planting. I um, I want to ask you a few things based on what you just said. Uh, one of them is we'll have you go back and, and talk about um, the value of, of uh, new imaging uh, systems uh, that are being applied to uh, assessing the tree canopy. But also, the metro Atlanta area, not unlike a lot of 
metro areas throughout the southeast has a very, very vast network of uh, rivers, creeks, and streams uh, so that you have communities, um, much like Decatur and Sandy Springs, where the station is based, um, where there's virtually creeks and streams in every single neighborhood uh, and may not be in your backyard, but a few houses over, someone will have a creek. Uh, and I'm wondering if um, ordinances which provide for uh, maintaining vegetation, and not just trees, but primarily trees, uh, and the stream buffers uh, fits in with what you're talking about when we're talking about uh, uh, stormwater and also erosion and then the economic benefits of trees to to helping uh, with that condition. Oh, oh, absolutely. It's critical that we, we maintain uh, vegetative buffers along creeks, creeks and streams. Uh, you know, I think in most places it's a state law that we do that because we, we do recognize the, the value of trees holding soil in place and, and uh, intercepting stormwater to reduce erosion uh, and also providing valuable habitat for wildlife that tends to tends to do better along rivers and creeks. Uh, so, and, and the thing about our streams and rivers and creeks is that there's there's a downstream effect too. Um, you know, it's, it's important to think about our stewardship of nature in terms of how it affects our neighbors next door. And you know, the quickest way to impact your neighbor that's downstream is to not take care of the buffer along the stream. Uh, so it, it just makes perfect sense to do that. The um, uh, the value to um, maintaining uh, healthy uh, wildlife is is something which we're we're beginning to better understand. We we had on this program. Uh, uh, Dr. Chris Mallory. Are you familiar with Chris Mallory's work, uh, Ed? Uh, not very much. I've heard the name, but I'm not that familiar with it. Yeah, it's, it's probably hard to keep up with all the players, uh, and in fact, the growing number of players. But much like you, he's a luminary in his area of wildlife biology, uh, and he has been conducting a study, um, both uh, a national study, but also a local regional study, uh, uh, and it's focused on a kind of a north to south a sw a swath of uh, land uh, in the metro area, and they're they're maintaining um, an inventory of wildlife here in Sandy Springs. We've set up cameras along creeks and streams uh, to document just exactly what kinds of uh, uh, animals we have, and I think to uh, the surprise of everyone, including. Uh, the Environment Sandy Springs group that was working with uh, Chris Mallory and uh, his Barry College uh, uh, students and colleagues, uh, we, we, we went beyond uh, fox and deer uh, and coyote to beaver, uh, otters, and, and mink. We found uh, mink in uh, Sandy Springs and, uh, and wow. lots, of, lots of other species. Um, and I'm sure those same species can be found in cities like Decatur. And uh, and maybe to a greater extent to cities like Asheville, 
and I bring up Asheville because Asheville's a, a, a city where uh, the, where you're on the, uh, the is it the Forestry Commission? Um, yes, it's the Urban Forestry Commission. Um, and, and I'm wondering, did Asheville um, have a particular uh, forward-thinking um, consciousness, if you will, about trees over the last uh, several decades, or was it only more recently, like most cities, and then bringing you in um, uh, would be characteristic of them reaching a new plateau of awareness uh, for uh, tree canopy uh, preservation uh, and, and protection. Um, Asheville is a city that's sort of on a plateau in southern Appalachia, an elevation of uh, somewhere around 2,000 feet, and, and it's been a desirable place for uh, for people to visit for, for forever since the 1800s. It's an area that, that we call the cradle of forestry because the first forestry school in the country uh, was established there. Uh, in the late 1800s, and it, it, since it's surrounded by national forests, it's a, a city where I, I think people tended to take their trees for granted. There are billions of trees surrounding the city, uh, and and it's a very green place. But over the last uh, 10 or 20 years, it's it's experienced a lot of development pressure, um, especially um, since it's become a, a tourist destination. And and inside the city, the urban forest really became challenged, and the canopy uh, the canopy started decreasing. <clears throat> and I I sort of chose Asheville as a place to live. Um, as I'm ending my career, I, I started relocating up there, and I'm I, and I'm up in Asheville uh, most of the time now. And and I started getting involved with the local community and having conversations about urban forests and was invited to join their tree commission by city council and we're we're sort of a community that's starting from scratch in in terms of where we are with respect to public policy and management of the resource and the city's moving very quickly towards going through that natural process that communities should go through. Number one, understanding the condition of the resource and how it's changing through a series of uh, uh, inventories. And we just recently completed an urban tree canopy analysis with some change detection. So we looked back 10 years and did a canopy analysis and then a more recent one. And and we also did an audit of, of the city's ability to manage an urban forest program from a sustainable you know view or perspective, and we have most recently developed a set of recommendations for the city to change its policy to hire an urban forester and to develop an urban forest a sustainable urban forest master plan. And so we're moving in the direction to reverse the decline that we've been seeing. Uh, so it's it's an evolution that communities go through. Uh, you take things for granted, and then you realize things are changing and not in a desirable way, and then you look at ways to manage that change. And I'm, I'm very excited to see uh, Asheville moving forward in that direction. Talk about a microcosm um, of the nation. It's that kind of evolution of uh, taking for granted the trees that exist um, and then realizing whoa, um, because of development, 
and certainly the popularity of a city like Asheville, which, as you say, for over a century has been a, a tourist destination, uh, uh, and uh, uh, that uh, whole development may have been boosted um, when the uh, Biltmore House was uh, was built. Uh, uh, and later became a tourist destination in and of itself. Um, but many cities like Atlanta um, would have taken its streets for granted. Uh, and I recall um, there were, I may have stated this on air but uh, previously, but I'm not so sure. Uh, some of our listeners know that I'm on the uh, Fulton County um, uh, Environmental Commission, and I always said that... Uh, we were in danger of uh, transitioning from the city in the forest to the city in the parking lot. Um, and and with that, uh, we're going to take a break, Ed, and when we come back, I'm going to have you touch on some of the new technology uh, like imaging um, and um, your career in general. We're with Ed Macy. We'll be back to talk with Ed more right after this break. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Good morning. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org Happy holidays. I'm Patty Levan, owner of Multiline Mortgage Services, Inc. Call us for details about our conventional loans with as little as 3% down or talk to us about our FHA, VA, and USDA loan options. We answer your questions with honesty and integrity because that's how we roll. Multiline Mortgage Services, your way home. Call us at 941-201-9111 or check out our website at multilinemortgage.com. Company founded by Joseph D. Powers, NMLS 158-989, licensed Georgia and Florida. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Ed Macy, and we've been talking about trees, um, forests, uh, the tree canopy. Uh, and <clears throat> before the uh, the break, I mentioned that uh, I, I wanted you to, to comment on uh, the new host of, uh, of tools that range from uh, satellite imagery to computer programs like iTree, um, which are used to evaluate uh, trees on very specific uh, plots of land to large um, urban areas. Um, has satellite imagery revolutionized the uh, evaluation of the tree canopy? 
Oh, very much so. Um, we, we, there's different forms of, of imagery, uh, but uh, Landsat is one that's most commonly used, and it, it, it can collect data on the urban forest in a variety of spectral bands um, that, that can be used for analysis uh, which are run through models like iTree that you described. iTree is a, a model that was developed by the U.S. Forest Service to uh, quantify the benefits that our forests provide us. Um, I was describing that a little earlier on. Um, there, there are some desktop models where you can uh, enter the data on trees in your own backyard and calculate what their what their value is in terms of uh, their ability to intercept pollution and carbon and reduce energy costs and and uh, provide stormwater uh, protection for stormwater runoff. Uh, so so these tools have really become valuable to us in in, in managing a resource. Um, it's it's ways that it gives us the opportunity to benchmark our progress, and we are working with programs and communities. Uh, we recently, uh, we were talking about the city of Asheville uh, before the break, and the, the, we had a team from NASA work with us once we did our canopy analysis to use satellite imagery for, for heat detection. They did some thermal analysis in the city uh, to help us find where hot spots are in the community, which sort of coincided with where trees were absent. So uh, we talk about the value of trees and in, 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 in their, well, the ability of trees for evaporative cooling and providing shade. The absence of trees creates urban heat islands, and that's where you have all this asphalt and concrete, much denser surfaces uh, that absorb solar energy rather than reflecting it and creating hot spots in cities. So using satellite imagery, NASA was able to tell us where these heat islands were or are in the city of Asheville. And then using some census data, we were able to create some overlays uh, so we can identify where the more vulnerable populations live within these heat islands and create a vulnerability index. So um, these tools are very valuable to us. The vulnerability index that we developed gives us some insight as to where we should strategically plant trees to cool the community and protect our populations. So um, you know, our urban forest, using technology to manage our urban forest uh, becomes a, an opportunity to protect public health. You, you mentioned spectral bands uh, and the Landsat imagery. Um, tell us a little bit more. We're, people typically think in terms of uh, density of trees that might be analyzed um, using infrared, but are, does the broader spectral range help us to uh, identify healthy and unhealthy trees as well? Yes, it could, um, and that's something that's more typically used in, in more natural forest environments. Uh, it, it, you can identify, for example, uh, patches where there might be an outbreak of, of pine beetle in a pine forest, where the, 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 the color that these satellites pick up is, is less than what's natural. There's a difference between 
between the the color that they see in one patch of woods versus another patch of woods that might be nearby. So, so it's a pretty common technology that's used for uh, forest health detection. You know, Ed, uh, uh, I'm wondering, uh, have have you identified well what you think are U.S. cities or international cities <clears throat> that are doing all of the right things uh, to keep their urban force healthy? There's a lot of cities that are doing a lot of right things. I, I can't really name any that are doing all of the right things. I know a lot of cities are trying. Uh, I, I think about uh, the city of Toronto that that has a very good urban forest master plan. Uh, the city of Tampa is, is also similar, where where they have a plan, they're following the plan, they have criteria indicators. So, you know, the, the cities are employing this thing called adaptive management. They're monitoring how their management's working and they're adapting based on that, that the, the host of criteria. Um, but there's a lot of cities in this country that are doing some great things. The city of Pittsburgh comes to mind. New York City has has been focused on uh, improving their urban forest canopy for a long time. So, uh, you know, it's something that that we have been trying to promote for for a very long time. In this case, in this sense, I mean, we, the U.S. Forest Service. Um, has a program, an urban and community forestry program that's focused on developing local capacity and providing technology for communities to improve their ability to manage forests. Uh, so there are a lot of good examples. Um, Ed, you were instrumental uh, as a founder of the uh, Georgia Tree Council, uh, and um, I'm wondering. Um, I saw you at a recent conference uh, of the uh, Georgia Tree Council and was really uh, very impressed with a lot of the presentations, including yours, and unfortunately we don't have time to drill down into some of what you presented, but I will uh, uh, suggest that uh, if uh, anyone wants to uh, learn more, how can they reach you, Ed? Uh, probably the best way to reach me is by email, and my email address is ed at edmacy, which is spelled E-D-M-A-C-I-E dot com. Okay. Um, uh, I would suggest anyone who wants to learn more about what Ed is doing in, in terms of his consulting activities and uh, working on, on uh, vari with various organizations, including the... Uh, Urban Tree Commission at uh, in Asheville. Um, how do you feel about the evolution of the Georgia Tree Council itself? Um, are you um, pleased with how it's come around? Yeah, it's a great organization. Uh, we, uh, the Georgia Tree Council started as the Georgia Urban Forest Council uh, back in the middle 80s as well and uh, in close partnership with the Georgia Forestry Commission. And the role of that organization uh, is to you know, you know, foster dialogue between uh, practicing urban foresters and arborists across the state and to play a statewide advocacy and education role for urban forests. And, and it's become a, a, a very 
good, uh, self-sufficient and sustaining organization that that advocates for urban trees uh, with with strong membership. Um, I'm just I'm just really delighted to see where they've come over the years and and uh, watch the organization mature. I'm very very proud of proud of that group. Yeah, it appears that Mary Lynn Beckley has done a, a, a great job as their executive director. Ed, I, I, we're, we're, we're winding down, we have a minute, and I want to ask you this very important question. When was it that uh, a young Edward Macy was initially influenced, um, maybe not to grow up and become a, uh, a horticulturist, uh, a arborist, a, a, a tree forest uh, expert, uh, but... Uh, was it a walk in the woods? Uh, when when was it that you first uh, took note of trees? <laughs> I you know I, I can only answer that question in retrospect. I, I I remember as a kid always being amongst the trees, and I I think I think that um, oh my goodness, when I was a kid, I was always climbing and playing in the woods, just uh, drawn to them, and and I guess it just. Uh, it was. I had that affinity, just didn't know it until I was, you know, studying it, and then I looked back and said, "Well, I guess this makes sense." Yeah, well, I uh, I guess you could say you're a very, very lucky professional who has who has gone full circle from uh, the days of uh, playing in and among the trees, uh, kind of treating them like uh, friends, uh, to now becoming one of their most recognized friends. To trees and and uh, to forests uh, across the the nation, Ed. I want to take uh, a moment to just say thanks for the, all the work that you've done through the decades on behalf of trees. Well, it's been my pleasure. We uh, trees and I both need each other. We all need our trees, so it's, it's been a pleasure. And, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh, any one word of advice to young professionals thinking about a career uh, in forestry or uh, arbor, ar- uh, arborist uh, Well, go for it. I think there's a lot of jobs in the future. Um, try to diversify your background as much as possible and, and, and be creative. Um, think outside the box. Uh, I think there's a bright future for professionals in, in urban forestry. And um, uh, Welcome aboard if you're studying it. Glad to have you. Well, thank you very much, Ed. Um, we'll end with that uh, word. You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, USA. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the uh, radio a week from now. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry to all of our listeners. We'll see you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.